Hi folks, welcome to Agency Unfiltered, the HubSpot Solutions Partner Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a weekly web series and podcast that interviews the owners, founders, and executives of agencies and services providers from around the world about whatever it takes to grow and scale. This week, we have on Neil Clark, Digital Director at Quattro. Neil joins the pod to discuss his process for building, maintaining, and prioritizing a small team and how a lean operation has its advantages to both selling and servicing clients. So Neil walks us through those advantages, the value propositions, and how it manifests into and impacts Quattro's go-to-market, including why and how it can be an attractive option for prospective businesses comparative to larger organizations. We also talk about the intersection of team size and technical aptitude, and how team size isn't indicative of a solutions partner's ability to effectively design and implement complex configurations of HubSpot. So Neil walks us through his team's approach and how he's been able to find success in this pocket of the HubSpot ecosystem. You're listening to another episode of the Agency Unfiltered Podcast. Welcome to Agency Unfiltered. How are we doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. Not too bad. Uh, uh, in Massachusetts and Boston, we're reveling in the, the spring weather, or maybe like the early signs of summer. Hopefully you're experiencing some of that as well. We are. Yeah, the problem is we do take it for granted. You know, you get sucked <laughs> into that, that nice summer sunshine and suddenly it'll start to rain. But at the moment, we're six or seven days into the sunshine, which is great. That's pretty good. You know, if you're getting a six or seven day run, yeah, you got to just really, you know, bask in the glow in that case. Uh, well, Neil, uh, excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, obviously, taking a look at Quattro, uh, an elite tiered solutions partner. Um, but I think what's what's unique about your story is that you've been able to find success in the HubSpot ecosystem uh, while maintaining a, a fairly lean team. Uh, and so uh, super interested to get your insights. Um and the learnings along the way, how you've been able to operationalize a sales engine, a servicing engine uh, that has obviously, you know, uh, moved up the ranks, if you will, from our partner program at HubSpot. Uh, but anyways, uh, I bet you can say the story of Quattro more eloquently than I can. Uh, so give us a little context into the Quattro of today, uh, the team size and how it's structured and maybe how that's evolved uh, over time, as I believe it, it may have initially started with uh, your wife and yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we started back in, in 2015. So we, we started on the basis of uh, we were HubSpot users in marketing firms before. Um, we wanted to, to set up the agency ourselves, uh, which we did. Um, but what we wanted to do was we wanted to just be experts in it. And I think that a lot of agencies will do, you know, they'll, they'll take on lots of different systems, lots of CRM systems. And I think you know, our view was right. Let's let's go at this and let's become experts in HubSpot. Uh, and we started initially, you know, because a lot of our experience was around kind of CRM uh, web development. So we started in that area. But then, but back in 2015, it was really mainly HubSpot marketing and moved into HubSpot sales. Mm -hmm. We kind of grew with the platform and then moved out of the web development and more into the CRM side of it. So I think that initial ethos of just specialising and being exclusive to HubSpot, I think that's what it says on the path. So we could just just do that. 
Um, yeah, and initially the, te the team was only about four of us. Obviously, we grew over time and mm -hmm. we hit a really good level of 10 people, which is where we are now. And we felt that's a really good size because you can be experts in it. You've got enough expertise in the team and you can service and grow on that basis. Um, and also, you know, at that level, you've got a really nice close-knit team mm. who all know what each other's doing. And we always felt that, that that delivered a really good standard of service for the clients. Um, no, that's great. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned right out of the gate. I know it's a, it's a it's like an inflection point and a decision that many partners have to make uh, uh, in their growth journey. It's okay. Are we going all in on a system, or are we going to say you know that we have the capabilities and the capacity to service clients regardless of the systems that they need support? Obviously, it sounds like with Quattro, all in on HubSpot. Uh, and so did you feel any ramifications in the early days of that process? Were you seeing lucrative deals or sales opportunities or businesses that, you know, you were turning away if, if they weren't, uh, you know, making the move or leveraging HubSpot? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the early, early stages, um, in the first couple of year, years, I think we must have turned away four or five different opportunities. It felt quite hard. I mean, it was that early conversation, I think, when we took on HubSpot. I think the rep at the time said, are you all in on HubSpot? And that really resonated with us. And I think we took the decision, yes, we are, but we had to be pretty brave. You know, when you start a business, you need to take every opportunity, but we didn't. There were some opportunities where people say, you know, I want you to build out a whole campaign, you know, WordPress website. I want you to work on this platform. And we were like, actually, no. And that's something we've stuck by. And I think that's part of our strength. We've gone all the way through it and said, if you're on, you know, as long as HubSpot's in the mix, we'll work with you. But if it's not, we won't. And it's quite a brave thing to do, but it, it, it's paid off for us. Yeah. Uh, obviously the short-term pain, but, but naturally some long-term gain behind that decision. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what you tend to, what tends to happen, and this has happened more and more as time's gone on, they've said, you know, can you develop a system or can you put a CRM in for us? And people have said, do you work on anything other than HubSpot? And we've said no. And then they've gone, okay, well, maybe we should look at HubSpot then. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, uh, you mentioned it too, uh, started with four. Now we're at 10, 10 seems to be the sweet spot for your team. You mentioned, Hey, you know, it's a close knit group. Everyone's intimately familiar with the work being done across, you know, those 10 folks, uh, uh, knowing that, you know, servicing capacity and bandwidth is finite. Uh, uh what, uh, what other advantages do you see by maintaining a, a team of 10, a leaner organization, not seeking to, to grow far beyond that? Like, are there additional advantages uh, that you may have over larger services providers or, or does it manifest in the sales process in any way? Any unique value propositions behind it as well? I'd be interesting to know. Yeah, it does. So with any agency, and I've been part of big agencies before, as they scale, you've got to feed that process. You know, the more people you take on, um, there's, there's growing pains in bringing those teams on. You've got to feed them. You've got to get more sales. You've got to get more salespeople. And you've got all of those things. And what, what starts to happen is the distance between the salesperson selling something and then handing over becomes greater. And the client feels very disconnected from that initial conversation. Sure. But that is one of the disadvantages. And, and also that hunger comes across in the sales process. You know, I've been there. You've, you've got a team to feed. You really want to get the deal through. And that comes across whether you, you like it or not, or not, the end user feels that. Whereas with a, with a smaller team, what we found is 
we actually look at the clients. Yeah, we, we go after the opportunities, but we vet them before we've got too far down the process to say, actually, is this a client we want to work with? Does it fit our, mm-hmm. you know, the way we work and our strengths and capabilities? Is it going to be a, a client that we can service effectively and profitably, or is it going to be one that sucks all our time and is a massive drain on resources? So what the net result of that is you end up selecting your customers as much as they're selecting you. And the result of that in the sales process is you're not desperate. In fact, you're quite picky. And the result of that is they, they want you more, is what we found. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, the one, you know, the, uh, once they're told that you're being select, you know, oh, wait, they might not want me, they might not choose me, you're like, well, then I, you know, it makes them want that you even more, right? Uh, I'm sure there's yeah. principles in like human connection, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. that happened earlier this year, a uh, similar situation. There was three partners, two bigger agencies in this. We're all elite, but they yeah. were much, much bigger. Um, and I was not sure whether we wanted to take it on. We, we, you know, we only serve so many inbound retainers. We balance it between inbound work and, and selling HubSpot. And I wasn't sure whether we wanted it. And the more I pushed back, the more they wanted us. I just, <laughs> you know, it was one of those situations you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't put them off. Uh, and the more well, I if desperation, if you were like desperate for their business, if that's what the vibe was that was coming out, then yeah, that's probably a red flag for them, right? But knowing you were selective, you know, probably instills some confidence in in them absolutely. to like, all right, this, you know, they're in high demand, right? That's a good yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's to be honest, it worked really well. We won won the business, and actually, it's, you know, it was a project. It's, it's coming on really nicely. So yeah, that's the effect it has on the sales process. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's interesting in that. Um, uh, you also mentioned the handoff piece too. And to your point, uh, many organizations probably feel this, but going from one point of contact and then, you know, the handoff from in fact, point of contact sales into whoever's going to be their account manager or the servicing point of contact. Like how can you confirm a full comprehensive handoff of all the information, the context that's been gathered? I can imagine it's even more difficult uh, for, for larger teams, right? And, and so knowing that it's a close-knit team, sounds like a lot of that information carries through that's a valuable element to the client experience, right? Yeah. Just as they're signing or coming on board. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, typically with a larger agency, and I, I used to be part of one, it would be very much you'd fill out a handover sheet, email it to somebody. You might go to the call, you might not, uh, mm-hmm. and then the account manager would take it on. And the, there's a definite disconnect there, whereas where you know the strength of what we do is you 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 know you pass it over, but the salesperson still drops in on some of those calls. You know, mm-hmm. but you might be. In an onboarding process, you might be three or four weeks in and the salesperson will drop in, how's it all going? And they're like, there's a huge amount of reassurance that, that comes from doing that yep. because we can. Um, and we know where everyone is in their projects. Um, yep. So I think in terms of what the client gets from that, there's a lot of value. But also what we get is a really high retention rate because they don't churn. You know, we've got an incredibly high retention rate because of that. I think that really solid handover from sales to, to onboarding and because it's quite a close-knit team, we know what's going on. Everybody knows all of the clients and what's going on at any time. And I think there's a lot of strength in that. You know, and secondarily here, we're talking about a value proposition of something like a connected platform or some CRM that has visibility of all the touch points of data from sales and service. And so, you know, there's uh, some backdoor value propositions maybe of HubSpot knowing that those are the types of things that lead to 
uh, great customer experiences, high retention rates for services. Uh, so it's great to hear. Well, you know, we do all this on HubSpot anyway. So. <laughs> uh, all right, good, good, good. Yep, uh, needed to just tee up for that, for that confirmation. Um, <clears throat> Neil, uh, interesting to hear too, that uh, in order to properly manage your team's uh, capacity, you have to be strategic in selecting the clients or the businesses in your sales process that you want to move forward as clients, right? And you're selecting them just yep. as much as they're selecting you. You have to vet early, really nail down how their fit's going to be. It's it's so critical uh, that they're not going to be drains on resourcing and scope creep and all those other things. How else does you know the the lean nature of your operation manifest in the go to market? Are there additional considerations that you make beyond these points in the sales process, either from uh, the way in which your servicing team engages with these clients, uh, anything from your marketing collateral or anything else, but but other considerations across your go-to-market. I'd be interested to know. There's a few things that we've identified. So in the last 10 years, we've worked across all sorts of different businesses. And the one sector that we try to avoid is the startup sector. You know, bless them. It's great. They're starting up. They're enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah. They really want to go for it, but they are so demanding on time and so tight on budget. So we don't work with startups anymore. Because we can't, we want to offer the same standard of service for everyone. And if we have a startup in the mix, they drain too much resource away from everyone else. So, so that's one thing we don't do. And the next thing is we carefully monitor where projects track in their pro- progress. So like onboarding pro- programs, 90 days, we know where they are when they start, when they finish. So we can always keep an eye on where resource is at. So that when we know what's coming down the pipeline, we can identify is it going to fit nicely into the current schedule or is it not? Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's always having an eye on what's coming, what's in and what's done and having a proper onboarding and offboarding process. And Um, I can imagine it's going to be a fairly standardized process, something that, I mean, it can't be fully templatizable because every client's going to have their unique needs, but it's got to be, you know, the, the, the boiler, the 90 day window, you know, the assembly line elements, like it has to be repeatable, standardized, consistent, because uh, otherwise, you know, the ability to track that information, that data is not going to be so reliable, right? I imagine you have a fairly standardized process at this point. Yeah, now we, we learned that fairly early on. So uh, you know, a lot of the team early on, you know, we were learning, finding our way. Um, but I think, you know, probably second year in, we were like, we really do need to get really slick on our processes. So that mm-hmm. was when we started to document everything. Um, standard templates for things, um, standard templates for processes, introducing project management software, things like Monday, things like that, um, but really tightening up on it. And that really, that that's at the root of everything we do. You, we know, you know, really know the processes inside and out so I can bring any one of the team onto a call and they'll know exactly what's going to happen and can, can talk through verbatim what that process will be to anybody just because they know it all the time, they're always doing it. And I think that's the key to getting people in through delivering on time and then then out the door. Uh, Neil, let me ask you this, obviously a commitment, you learned early, a a commitment to, I think, really slick documentation, robust, comprehensive documentation, templatization of processes. What's the most granular process that you have documented where you're like, wow, I can't believe we needed documentation on that super niche or super granular step of the process. Anything wildly specific that you have documented? I would say the most specific that we document is down to the integrations. So, mm. you know, we do in-house um, API development and that has got so specific um, in the way that that's documented. I think we had to because someone says, oh, I want to integrate this platform 
how long is a piece of string? You know, you, you need the, the fine detail. Um, yeah. So I, don't, I, th I think when we started to do the integrations, and they were later on, we didn't do this right at the outset. When we started to do them and a lot of technical CRM impl implementations, we really needed that, that really fine detail. So we didn't expect that to be as detailed as it is, um, but it, I think it had to be in order to continue and make that profitable. Yep, that makes sense. And actually, uh, I want to pull the thread there. You mentioned uh, uh, integration, API development, uh, technical implementation, or maybe some complex configurations of HubSpot. Sounds like that's the realm in which your team operates. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this is necessarily true or not, but I feel that there's a perception that team size is an indicator of an ability to deliver those types of projects or like team size is indicative of technical aptitude. You know, obviously it sounds like Quattro can dispel that notion. So how do you approach those types of projects? How do you staff them? How do you upskill your team to be able to deliver those again with an eye on, on maintaining the lean nature of your operation? So what we tend to do, I suppose the difference with us is each team member. So, so a lot of agencies will have a specific person to a specific role and they won't yep. move outside of that. Whereas a lot of our team members are kind of hybrids. So they'll do a lot of different things. Um, but because we specialize in HubSpot, they've become experts in the area. Um, and I suppose, I don't know, maybe it's you know, coming from a coding background, but a lot of us, especially in the early days when we set up, we were from a technical background anyway, so we thrived on the detail and the software. We all love software. Anything new comes out, we're on it, we want to play with it, we want to tinker with it. And I think it's that ethos of being inquisitive and, and really wanting to drill down into what's possible. Um, and I think that's what we've looked for in the staff that we've taken on. So yeah, bigger agencies can do technical things, but there's no reason that a smaller agency can't. It's just having the right people in the right place. And if you take on the right projects, you can be as technical as any of them. I mean, like that project I was talking about with you, you know, we've had HubSpot come to us and say, I've got a client here that wants to connect HubSpot portals together. And I was like, okay, well, that sounds interesting. We started chatting. Initially, it was five HubSpot portals to one. It ended up being 250. Who knew that that was possible or was even required? But it's projects like that. I think there's that that inquisitive interest and that technical drive in us that makes us go for those those technical challenges um, yeah. and also makes makes life interesting doesn't it <laughs> yeah you never know what's coming next you know and it's it's an interesting point too you know i kind of just reflect on the state of the hubspot product and like the ecosystem there's still a lot of like uncharted waters on like how creative can you be in solutioning a couple of different things not every single stone has has been turned. And so it sounds like there's a lot of just room still for, for innovative thinking, inquisitive thinking and, and getting creative and solutioning. Is that, is that a fair read? Yeah, hundred percent. I think there's a, there's a, there's often we are with like a team, team chat. We're always chatting with one another on what's going on. And, and often we say, just how far can we bend HubSpot? And over the years, always trying to bend it and shape it. And then you'll do something. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, HubSpot will develop it. So, you know, I think that's, that's good. You know, it's a constantly evolving platform, which is what you want. And you constantly want betas and new stuff coming out because that's what makes it interesting and has value. So I think that's part of why we're in it. And that's part of why we committed to it early on. Because if, you know, you look at other platforms and they tend to stagnate over time, they get to a certain size and that ends. But with HubSpot, it hasn't been like that. It's been yeah. more of a constant, you know, just so many updates. And I think that's what interests all of us. Um, now, going back to the team, you mentioned uh, 
there's like a balance of, well, technically they're hybrid, right? They're not overly granular, uh, like specialized in one pocket. Uh, they're, they're, they're much more broader generalists maybe, but again, because you're exclusively on HubSpot, while they still may be categorized as more generalists, it's still, uh, through the depth and breadth of the HubSpot portal specifically. And, and that sounds like that's what's unlocked that sort of baseline technical expertise to, to do some of this work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess if you think about, yeah, they're generalists within a specific vertical, I suppose. So let's say you've got, um, somebody who does, um, onboarding, they'll, they'll specialize in marketing onboarding, but they'll mm. also deliver inbound marketing retainers. Um, but they'll also be a specialist in SEO as well, because those skills are all complementary. If you, you know, in terms of website development, you'll have, um, a designer who can also develop and does front end development. Um, then back end, you'll have an API developer that probably does a little bit of jQuery and JavaScript. Sure. So they're kind of aligned to their skill set, but yeah. I mean, it's very much, it sounds like the, the old adage of like T-shaped, you know, marketers where it's like, you, you can go broad on a lot of complementary elements, but then there will also be a pocket or an area in which you're, you're incredibly deep. So yeah, onboarding marketing hub, inbound marketing strategist. But again, that deep element could be SEO. Maybe they're the resident SEO expert in that regard. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's basically how we do it. Um, and it just makes it easier. You know, when you, if you're on a client call and they, they get challenged with something, they can talk with authority and knowledge about something rather than say, hang on, I'll, I'll have to loop someone else in or I'll have to pass you over to someone else. Yeah. The speed that unlocks, right? The ability to just answer questions, service clients versus, you know, the game of telephone or seeking the additional resources. I can imagine that that impacts the, the client experience too, the speed in which they're getting their issues or questions resolved. Absolutely. I mean, we know that the whole HubSpot system is it's fast paced. You know, people expect things done quickly. And I think that's how we're able to do it is having the right people in there. Um, and because it's 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 close knit, if there ever is a situation when there's somebody on a call and they don't have the answer, they just jump onto our our Slack channel, message the team, and they'll come back almost straight away. And if they're free, they'll jump on a call. And I think it's having that that close knit ability to do that that adds all that value. Now, Neil, you mentioned obviously uh, by design, you're incredibly selective and. In, uh and, you know, moving forward with certain prospects or prospective conversations has to be the right fit, obviously with an eye towards managing the team's capacity. Now, with that said, Quattro is obviously also an elite tiered solutions partner. Uh, and I, I've been led to believe that requires an immense amount of sold uh, MRR and sold points and sold software. And so how, how are we balancing the selective nature, but also, you know, a, a fairly robust sales engine that you've developed, resale you know, resell engine of the software that you've built at Quattro? I think, I think it's kind of evolved over, over time. Um, if we think about the way the business is split, so there's the selling HubSpot and onboarding it. So it's kind of a project-based approach. And then yep. you've got, also got your inbound retainers, which are kind of your ongoing work. Um, so in terms of maintaining that elite tier and, and that, that throughput of, of business, it's understanding, you know, where we fit really well. You know, the projects that have gone really well before um, and, and knowing those pretty early, but also, you know, you know, getting the sales process fit for it as well. So things like, you know, if we go after like uh, membership organizations, we, we know we've done those so many times. We've already mm -hmm. got membership portal demonstrations ready. We know the common questions. So we know we're going to score well in those areas. So basically, we've identified all the key areas that we, we, we're strong, we're strong in have demo portals ready and processes ready to kind of pick them up. 
Um, and then if there's stuff that doesn't quite fit in between, we'll either quickly learn, so it's a new one, or we'll say, no, we can't do it. Yeah, so it sounds like really honing in and understanding who you're, like the ICPs, like knowing what type of businesses yeah. uh, that, that uh, you know, we, we know well, we service well, and therefore, you know, over time you've established, it sounds like a catalog of playbooks to ask the right questions and like know what uh, value propositions to hammer home. Maybe sounds like demos as well, or like demo environments that appeal to their business yeah. needs. And so is that, is it really coming down to who those, who those ICPs, who those good fit businesses look like for your business? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, early on when we all started with HubSpot, it was, you know, this is a persona and go through the persona management, but it, it, it's come to a point now because we've been doing it so long, you know, exactly when an IT person comes to the call, you know, exactly what's going to happen. When it's a marketing manager, you know, that they're not going to make the decision and you know, they're just there to, to help them influence the decision. And you know, quite quickly to say, where's the sales director? Can I speak to the operations director? Where's the, mm-hmm. uh, you kind of, you know, I, I guess it's been hard learned on the way, but we've learned those lessons and that's, you know, you, and, and all businesses do this and you, and you, you gain that velocity, don't you? Yep. That makes sense. Now, uh, <clears throat> tied with that, with the type of work uh, that, that your team does, obviously complex configurations, technical CRM implementation, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that seems to align well with the conversation that's all ongoing around HubSpot. It's the move up market and, and attracting and, and working with those, you know, enterprise-esque clients. Yeah. How does that change the sales process for a solutions partner? Like, is that an experience that, that you're dealing with uh, right now? And, and if others are looking to make a similar move, into that realm, any recommendations or any considerations they have to be, you know, ready for, right? Selling into those types of businesses differently. Yeah, it is different. Um, Mid-market to enterprise is very different. I think it's basically shaping the business to fit it. I mean, what we've done is we've uh, we've taken on more enterprise contracts. And what we've found is the enterprise ones won't be a project. They'll, they'll be longer. And they that you you quite quickly become a trusted advisor and essentially a HubSpot consultant. So what we've done is we've built out that area uh, to train the teams to be more confident in that, because um, mm-hmm. essentially the impact you're delivering is much much bigger. So you know there's a project that I've been working on personally for about twelve months now, and that came out of you know they they've got a HubSpot portal. It was going okay, but they were struggling and they were going through a series of acquisitions and the processes got a bit messy. So we mm-hmm. got brought in as a consultant to basically redefine the whole end-to-end marketing sales and service process and basically build it for them um, and specify integrations. So I think, yeah. That Sounds fairly easy. Yeah, that's something easy to spend yeah, up 100%. Yeah. yeah, piece of cake. But I think that at that level, you've really got to be, really got to know your stuff. So I think... I think going into the enterprise space, we gradually worked up to it. I don't think you can just go into that space. Um, yeah, I think you, you've got to de- demonstrate credibility because you get it wrong, you can really impact their business quite badly. Yeah, no, it makes sense. How do you, uh, uh, how do you demonstrate that credibility? Is it just being able to ask the right questions, uh, demonstrating your, your deep product expertise of HubSpot? How does, how does credibility manifest in your, your experiences? Um, it tends to be asking the right questions. So product knowledge is one thing, but it's going beyond that. It's really understanding how they sell, you know, how their sales teams work, um, asking the questions that, that they would expect you to ask. I think, you know, if you start going down, well, HubSpot could do this or HubSpot could do that. They were like, 
yeah, understand that, but how can you help me? And I think that's where we really score. We go in there and say, well, this is what you should be doing. And then use HubSpot to do it. And I think that that's the difference. It's, it's becoming a, um, a consultant rather than a seller. And I think it, it, it mm -hmm. leads into that consultative selling. So at enterprise level, you've really got to identify what they're doing um, and, and become that trusted advisor or consultant to, to work with them. And, and then you get them on side. Once you've done that, you're through the door and, and away you go. That makes sense. I mean, being able to frame your involvement to your point, uh, the trusted advisory role or like strategic consultative, you know, uh, arm of their business, it makes a ton of sense. Um, and again, to your point, it sounds like asking the right questions allows you to demonstrate your ability to, to fill that role. Yeah, we've had situations where I can think of a deal we closed last year where it went so far beyond HubSpot. It was ridiculous. We ended up becoming a systems architect. Um, mm. So it was no longer about should we or should we not buy HubSpot? It was like yeah, the team at Quattro said we need HubSpot, so that's a given. What else do we need? We need to do, you know, we, we need an ERP system. We need um, we need stock management. We need all this. Can you help us? So we ended up specifying all that as well. And then into yeah, you're consulting across the entire tech stack, the entirety of a platform that they would need, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and yeah, that's the power of that consultative selling. But I think that works at enterprise level. It does work at mid-market level, but at enterprise level, there's that expectation. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's the the value add that it could be at mid-market versus, to your point, the expectation. It's kind of the baseline, you know, engagement type is what they're looking for at that level. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Neil, going back to um, the the selling, the software sales side of your business, um, again, there's a couple different levers to pull, especially when we want to talk about reaching the numbers require the thresholds for an elite tier. So certainly the quantity of deals that you sell, right, is probably one important lever. But uh, I can hypothesize here that some other levers to pull would be uh, multi-hub, like larger solutions at point of sale or, or helping move somebody uh, from the starter SKUs or professional up to the enterprise. Like how does that factor into Quattro sales process? Do you uh, lead with enterprise level solutions, multi-hub, full platform solutions. Like, are those levers that you pull to achieve the, the sales metrics needed? Yeah, basically. We always think if we can get it up to enterprise, we will. And there's certain things that we'll do to do that. So, we'll, you know, we'll go onto the calls, we'll do our discovery call. Um, we'll go through really deep dive into the process. But what we're looking for are things like, do they need a custom object? You know, do they need a playbook? Uh, do they need um, recurring revenue analytics? Mm -hmm. Do they need transactional email? We kind of look for all the little things that we can use to push the deal up. And then we'll demo those those features. Uh, and they'll go, oh, I need that. Can't live without that. And then we're naturally at the enterprise point. We don't we don't try and put we don't we don't try and position enterprise straight away. We always yep. go, what do you need? And then show them what they can have. And then it's like get in a candy shop, isn't it? You show them all the nice stuff. <laughs> and then they say, actually, I want all that. And then if you make it so compelling, they can't say no. Yep. So it's like, uh, as part of the discovery process, like uncover the pain points and needs that will be acutely solved by uh, a collection of tools and functions within the enterprise SKUs of whatever, you know, hubs they may be looking at. And then that's just going to open up the conversation more organically, especially when you reach the demo is what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. And it's not always possible, but you know, <laughs> that, that's the, the attempt. Um, and obviously, you know, we're mindful that we've got, there's a certain throughput we need to maintain our elite status. So, um, yeah, so we keep that in mind. That makes sense. And is there any uh, 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 
codified approach for uh, expansion uh, amongst your existing accounts? I know you had mentioned the sales reps will still regularly check in with with clients post-sale. Uh, is it on the plate of your account managers or inbound strategists to find opportunities to grow, uh, expand usage of the software? Does that, does that factor into this at all as well for your team? All the time, all the time. So the whole team, um, so let's say, you know, when they take on a project, you know, they get a copy of the proposal, we're there as part of the handover, but they also know what the software stack that's been specified is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the moment there's a sniff of something that falls outside of that onto the Teams chat, everybody knows about it. Um, and then there's steps made to, to put that in place and what it would mean. So things like, I think, prime example, somebody did a custom object, sent them up to sales enterprise, um, had one a couple of weeks ago. Um, sending out pricing emails and the recipients unsubscribed. So a whole load of them didn't get their pricing emails, yet there were customers who said, right, you need transaction email. Things mm-hmm. like that. It crops up all the time. I think it's having always just, it's just listening. I think listening and being aware of what the client needs and then always having in your mind, how can we service that with software? I think that's the key thing, isn't it? We're always selling. We're always mm. selling. And you've just got to maintain that that thought wherever you are. And does that feel like a pull through of this trusted advisor function where you might always be selling, but because you've established an advisory position, you know, it's, it's being framed as customer centric. It's not just you pushing, but you're like, no, you know, we're trying to solution through the perspective of, of your experience. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you've got to do that because otherwise people will see right through you straight away. If you start saying, Oh, have you thought about this or that or the other? They're going to be no, no, I don't want that. But if you start to say, well, I understand you've got an issue with this. This could solve it. Shall we look at it? That's a completely different way of saying the same thing, um, and, and that's how you have to, how you sell it. Makes sense. Now, Neil, as we we come up on time, uh, I do have one final question for you. Uh, mm-hmm. We wrap every episode with the same question, so I'll hit you with it. What's the strangest part of agency life? The strangest part. Um, God, that that is that is a tough one. The strangest part. It's not due to a lack of strangeness. It's just, man, what pocket of strangeness do you want to you want to hone in on, really, right? Some of the stuff we get involved in is strange. Really, you know, what you would not expect, you know. So we've worked on all sorts of sectors, but sometimes I can find myself in a conversation about um, steel reinforced concrete floors. Or another day I could be talking about um, EV chargers. Or I could be talking like nanoparticle emulsions. Um, I think that's the strangest thing. You can be exposed to stuff that you never thought you'd be involved in or industry you never thought existed. Uh, recently, well, I can't believe there's a market for that, you know, yeah, there's something yeah. so niche and yeah, yeah. There was one we had two weeks ago um, and there's a company that do telemetrics. And what they do is basically software to work out how many pints have been pulled in a pub from a barrel. Who knew that that even existed? I just thought they weighed it or something. Yeah, sure. But, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's it. It's, it's yeah, stuff you'd never expect. Industries and, and, and te- technology you'd never expect and you come across. And I think, yeah, that's the strangest thing of agency life. No, that's a great call. Yeah, that's a good answer. Um, well, Neil, uh, I know, again, we're at time here, but uh, appreciate you coming on, uh, talking yes. through Quattro's own experiences in the partner program. Uh, lean but mighty team, elite tiered status, uh, complex configurations and solutioning of HubSpot. Uh, and so just learn about your experiences and, and how you've been able to operationalize it. It's uh, been incredibly informative, man. So thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's uh, great to catch up with you. Yeah, of course.
And for folks that have tuned in, this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered.